Welcome to the Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be chatting about how to master your digestive wellness. To get this longevity party started, I'm going to give you guys some background you need to know about your digestive system. And later, we will chat with Dr. Liz Lipsky, who is professor and the director of the academic development for the graduate programs in clinical nutrition at Maryland University of Integrative Health, where I study nutrition. Whoop, whoop. Um, She's the owner of the Innovative Healing Academy and the author of Digestive Wellness, now in its fifth edition. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. Shout out to listeners in Uganda, Mozambique, South Africa, the UK, France, Germany, Canada, Poland. I appreciate you all. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and write a review. It means the world to me to get feedback. So any reviews are much appreciated. I am really excited about today's show and our guest, who was an integral part of my personal journey becoming a nutritionist, as she is the Director of Academic Development at Maryland University of Integrative Health, where I receive my master's. She's written the most amazing, comprehensive book on digestive wellness called Digestive Wellness, Strengthening the Immune System and Preventing Disease Through Healthy Digestion. And because it is so dense and chock full of gems, I decided to use her book to give you guys some background on the digestive system before we chat. If you are a health professional, run, don't walk to buy this book as it can be used as an amazing reference to help you address your client's digestive issues. So here we go. Let's talk about the digestive system, aka the gut, aka the gastrointestinal system. It's made up of the mouth, the pharynx, the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestine, and large intestine, or what we also call the colon. Child, there was a point in my life where I didn't even know what the colon was. I've come a long way. The basic function of our digestive system is to turn food into molecules that our cells can then use for energy, maintenance, growth, repair, and waste products. Our digestive system running optimally affects our health in so many ways. Just to name a few, most of your immune system is in your digestive system, and there's a gut-brain connection that can directly affect how we feel and how we think. Our probiotic bacteria help to normalize cholesterol and triglyceride levels, promoting cardiovascular health, and commensal bacteria in the digestive system also drive our metabolism. As you can see, Getting our digestion right should be something that we all prioritize. The most important way we optimize our digestion is by consuming the right foods. However, even if you have the best diet, that won't matter if you are not absorbing the nutrients from your food. So in order to get the most out of the foods that we're actually eating, we need to digest our meals, have them break down into particles, absorb that broken down food, take that through our intestinal lining into the bloodstream, assimilate those nutrients and calories into the cells for use, and then eliminate the waste properly through the kidneys, the bowel, the lymph system, and the skin. When we have digestion or health in general that is not optimal, 
we typically have a breakdown in one of these stages. So if you're having issues with absorption, you may end up with food sensitivities, fatigue, skin rashes, migraines, or perhaps you have an inflamed gut, which causes malabsorption issues, or let's say you're constipated, or you have diarrhea, so that, that would be an elimination issue. I'm sure you can hear already that in order to get to the bottom of what may be causing digestive issues, we have to look at everything from literally the moment the food enters into your mouth all the way until waste leaves the body. If you don't know where to begin to improve your digestion, start with these simple tips. First, increase the amount of fiber in your diet. Our microbiome thrives on a diet loaded with vegetables, fruit, nuts, seeds, whole grains, sea vegetables, and beans. Second, chew your food thoroughly. We often swallow our food whole and on the go, so learning to sit and be mindful with our food can go a long way to improving digestion and really paying attention and chewing every single bite. Remember that also the energy with which you consume your food does matter. Next, don't drink and eat at the same time. This will dilute your stomach acid and interfere with the proper breakdown of your food. Obviously, if your throat is dry, child, or you feel like something is stuck in your throat, drink anyway. <laughs> Just don't make it a habit. Um, eat prebiotic-rich foods at most, if not all, your meals, which are foods that actually feed the good bacteria in your gut. Some really great prebiotic foods include things like leeks, dandelion greens, garlic, um, artichokes, tomatoes, soybeans, oats, asparagus, onions, unfiltered apple cider vinegar. Also include cultured and fermented foods such as yogurt. There are plenty of non-dairy yogurt options out there these days for those who are plant-based. Kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, miso. Also, we want to avoid the foods that disrupt our microbiome. So we're talking about processed foods, refined carbs, fast foods, foods with high saturated fat are also going to damage our microbiome and have been shown to increase dysbiosis. And last but not least, we need to avoid artificial sweeteners. So avoid that NutraSweet, the Splenda, <laughs> all of those things. They're going to have a direct effect on your microbiome. All right, I hope this gives you guys an overview. I'll delve into more interesting gut facts you may not know from her book in next week's episode. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak to our amazing guests. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of therawgirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. Today's guest is Dr. Liz Lipsky. She's professor and the director of academic development for the graduate programs in clinical nutrition at Maryland University of Integrative Health, the owner of The Innovative Healing Academy, and the author of Digestive Wellness, now in its fifth edition. Dr. Lipsky holds a PhD in clinical nutrition. She's a fellow of the American College of Nutrition and has two board certifications in clinical nutrition and one in functional medicine. She's on faculty for the Institute for Functional Medicine 
and the Metabolic Medicine Institute Fellowship Program. She's on the board for the American Nutrition Association and advisory boards for the Certified International Health Coaches and the Autism Hope Alliance. Dr. Lipsky has been a co-author in peer-reviewed papers and is the author of several books, Digestive Wellness, Digestive Wellness for Children, and Leaky Gut Syndrome, and a video course called The Art of Digestive Wellness. After 30 years of clinical practice, she devotes her time to teaching, writing, and building the field of personalized nutrition. I want to know, I mean, you have the most, like, I just, like all of your credentials and all, the thing that I find so amazing about you is that you have a lot of knowledge in your head, but yet you are a very unassuming, amazing, very warm person. And you've always been that way whenever I've come across you. I find that amazing. But can you explain your, like, how did you end up with all of these credentials? I guess, what is the general summary of what was the spark that led you into holistic health and then led you to study all of these different things? I think if you keep doing the same thing over and over for 40 years, you end up with a bunch of credentials. <laughs> and, you're, and you're a curious person. You know, I am a curious person and I love this field of nutrition and integrative health and how we can help people to optimize how they feel every single day. So when I was a little kid, I used to, you know, go out and bring my mom wild um, onions. And when I was in college, I used to, the first book that got me really interested in nutrition was Yule Gibbons stalking the wild asparagus. And so I started going out and foraging for, for plant foods um, that I could eat. And that was kind of my introduction into really nutrition. My mom was an amazing cook. Mm-hmm. And I started cooking with her and watching her cook from the time I was really small. So both my brother and I, he's a sculptor. He's like, I think I'm a sculptor because mom was a, a really good cook and she was so inventive and creative with it. Um, But, you know, when I got out of college, I had been doing a lot of um, studying on my own in in, um, herbal medicine. Mm. And um, like we were talking about before we got on the call, we're self-learners. We're both really curious about things. And so Mm -hmm. I took a lot of independent studies on things like systems theory, like how do systems work and, Hmm. and herbal medicine while I was in college. And when I finished college, I started looking for a school that I could go to where I could learn nutrition. Mm -hmm. That wasn't um, a dietetic program that wasn't a program in research that was just for people like us. Mm. That every day they were walking around and going, I don't feel as well as I should. Mm. I have menstrual cramps or I'm fat or, you know, I'm headed towards diabetes or whatever it is. And so I um, I found an online program that I did that I thought was that was the only one I could find in the English speaking world Hmm. where they sent me a box of books and they sent me a box of um, tests and they said, well, go ahead and learn and then write a, then write a um, master's thesis. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So, I mean, I did that, but at the same time, what I did was I studied with 
an MD and a naturopathic doctor 20 hours a week. Wow. And I interned with them and I took courses at the local community college. And, you know, I built my own master's degree program. That's so, so cool. Yeah, because sometimes that's what you have to do because you're kind of ahead of the curve and it, what you want to do doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So I did that. And then I heard years later about this um, board certification in uh, nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I sat for the boards that was for the CNS exam and passed that. And then in 1998, I decided I wanted to go back to school and get a real degree. Mm-hmm. So I went to um, the Union Institute, which at the time would let you pretty much create your own doctoral program in anything. Hmm. And um, they don't now, but but I was able to bring in not only nutrition, but functional medicine and herbal medicine and some spirituality and environmental health all into one program Mm -hmm. Um, because they allowed me to kind of weave in everything that I really wanted to learn all into one degree. And that's how I learn. I'm a weaver. I don't, you probably are too. You take things from everywhere and totally and put them together. And so anyway, this is a longer answer than probably you were expecting, but you know, I think just over time, I just kept, getting led different places. And then I think in 1998, I finally took my CNS exam. Mm-hmm. And um, right around then, the Institute for Functional Medicine asked me to come on their faculty and help teach their GI course um, that we were just creating back then. And now we've taught it, I think, 13 times. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it's like, you know, I think no matter who you are, whether you're a car mechanic or you cut hair or whoever you are, if you just kind of keep doing the same thing for a long, long time, you get decent at it. You get good at it. Right. That's so cool. I love that journey. So you're talking about functional medicine. I was reading this part in your book where you were talking about how you know, functional medicine leads the way a lot of times with testing and things. And then later it gets adopted by conventional medicine. And I was like, ah, that helps me understand why I literally have MDs who will tell me that, you know, candida overgrowth or parasitic infection is not real. And I'm like, what are you talking? Like, how, what do you mean? I have, I had parasites. How can you tell me it's not real? Why does it work that way? Why does it take so long? Is it the insurance companies? Is it what is it about the system that caused it to bleed that way? Well, there was a study that was done about 20 years ago, and I haven't seen it updated, but basically that study reported that it takes 17 years from the time that something's pretty well studied until it's fully accepted into medicine. Wow. And I think yeah, and I think that a lot of that is really because that is how science happens. Hmm. And it, it's slow to be adopted. And because if let's say that you went to nutrition school, right? And mm-hmm. and then suddenly, like 10 years from now, you hear that like eating vegetables is like the worst thing you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. It's going to take you and me a long time to believe that vegetables are bad for us. Right. 
And, um, you know, and I'm teaching in a school, so I'm going to keep teaching that vegetables are good. Um, and I picked that example because I was talking to, oh gosh, somebody I actually went to grad school with. And he said, you know, what did I think about the carnivore diet? And, and he said, well, you know, vegetables are bad for you. <laughs> I'm like, hilarious. It's hilarious, you know? <laughs> so, so anyway, but, but, you know, I think it just takes a long time. And I actually had lunch with um, a friend from, from college the other day, and I hadn't seen him since we went to college. So a very, very long time. And he's an MD. And, mm-hmm. and he said, Oh, you work with people who have irritable bowel syndrome. I'm like, yeah. He goes, wow. Like, you know, I said, well, you know, one of the things is that most of them have SIBO. And if you put them on a low FODMAP diet, then that will really help. And he's like, wow, I don't know. Like, you know, I've never even heard of it. Right. I've never even heard of it. He said, but you know, it takes a long time. I said, yeah, but every gastroenterologist in the country has been using it for over five years now. Right. I said, it's just not in internal medicine yet, but that doesn't mean it's not valid. Yeah. And you know, the way that you learned is you learned by everything that was research-based and it just takes such a long time. It is really frustrating, isn't it? I find it very frustrating, but at the same time, I guess not so because I'm on the side of things where things are faster moving. (laughs) Um, I just wish that we could integrate more like people would, you know, that, that we could have more conversations between alternative health, conventional medicine, and, and that people would be a little bit more accepting instead of just dismissive. That's where, that's where I get frustrated with it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I see is one, it's changing because people like you and me are going into our doctors and saying, well, yeah, parasites are, are real. And and fungal overgrowth is real. I also had it for, you know, probably 15 years before I could figure it out. So, yeah. so, you know, these things are very real. But on the other hand, you know, I think that what is so really important is that when you go into the literature, all of this is there. Mm-hmm. And so when we actually talk with a doctor who's skeptical, we can say, well, you know, here's a paper on this, right? You know, here's a review paper on this, which means that it's pretty well studied by the time there's a review paper. And so, you know, for me, my personal goal is how do we get an Asosa or a Liz in every single clinic? Right. Because you've seen by the clinics that you've worked in, that you change the culture almost immediately. No, it's within a few months. Within a few months, they their heads are turned around because we sit at that sweet spot of healthcare, which is really empowering people to pay attention and to make changes. Mm, so good. Yeah, totally true. Let's talk about, can you explain, because I feel like your explanations are always the best. <laughs> can you explain what the enteric nervous system is just for the average person who's like, I have never even heard of this. Yeah. Why would they? (laughs) Um, So the enteric nervous system is a fancy term for how the gut and the brain interact. How does your digestive system and your brain talk to each other? 
And it's a really fascinating story because, for example, if you're nervous about something, Mm -hmm. you might have what you say, butterflies in your stomach, right? So you already know that there's a connection. Because when we're nervous, I had a client who every time she was nervous, she'd have the runs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we already know that there is kind of a a gut-brain interface. And we also know that when we're feeling blue, we might make really terrible food choices. Right. Because we want to nurture ourselves and we want to feel happier by eating, you know, ho-hos or whatever it is, right? (laughs) So, So we know that there's kind of this, interaction between the gut and the brain. And now what's being studied is so fascinating because the gut and the brain are connected with a nerve called the vagus nerve. And this nerve runs all the way from your eyes, which help you dilate and dilate your pupils Mm -hmm. all the way down into your bladder so that you can actually get that urge and, and pee. Mm -hmm. So, so this vagus nerve is like the longest, they call it the wanderer because it just goes everywhere and has (laughs) profound effects. And when, um, this nerve, this also connects our digestive system and our brain, Mm. and it helps regulate that rhythmic contraction of our digestive system so that we can have good bowel movements and move things through and digest food, right. And, um, it helps regulate the production of stomach acid mm. and it helps regulate um, gallbladder to produce enough bile, which we use for so many different things like um, detoxification of um, hormones and uh, emulsification of fat so that we can better digest fat in our food. Um, mm-hmm. It helps alkalize so that so that um, we don't burn ourselves all the way through with stomach acid. And then what they're also starting to find is that the microbes that are in your small intestine and large intestine, mainly in the large intestine, are always kind of sending signals back up through this vagus nerve to Mm. the brain. Mm. And in this microbiome that sits mostly in the colon, large intestine, and then somewhat in the small intestine, um, we also, these microbes are making neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine and acetylcholine and glutamates and pretty much any kind of neurotransmitter that we make in our brain or nervous system, we also make in huge abundance in the digestive system. And so we know now that like 90% of the messages that go up to the brain Mm-hmm. go from the digestive system to the brain and 10% go from the brain to the gut. And it's really kind of fascinating. So different researchers are starting to work with probiotics that will help reduce anxiety and depression. Yeah. And so, real quick. So 90%. So I've never heard the percentage thing before. So does that mean that our, that means that does that mean that our gut then has more power than our brain as far as the affecting our emotions? Oh, well, that is a great question. And it's one that we don't fully know the answer to. Huh. But I would say yes. Think about how many wow. of your own clients you've worked with who all you do is you change the way that they eat mm-hmm. and their depression completely goes away. 
Right. Right. Their anxiety goes away. Right. And people who I've worked with people, you know, in my time who are have um, bipolar or major depressive disorders. And then we find out that there are certain foods that are triggering some of that. So hmm. gluten, for example, with schizophrenia, hmm. we have probably 30 papers on the effects of dairy and gluten containing grains on people with schizophrenia. But it's not mainstream, even though these wow. papers started being done in, you know, 40 years ago. Right. And, you know, so you, you and I see it all the time that people who make small, small or medium changes in the way that they eat, their brain starts working very differently. Yeah. You, re- reading your book was the first time I had heard the term psychobiotic, but it made perfect sense because of everything you're just saying. And so basically, are they doing more research now or is there enough research now to say that, you know, altering the um, microbiome in some way or, or supporting the microbiome and, and good bacteria is going to be super important for, for these mood disorders that we've talked about, like bipolar or schizophrenia? The research is pretty young. Um, okay. the, the main group leading this is in Cork, Ireland, mm-hmm. and it's Danan and his group. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the work is really good and it's starting to be duplicated all around the world mm-hmm. as people look at different microbes and anxiety and depression. But you and I both know that the people are really different. So yeah. you could have a dozen people who have less anxiety or their cortisol levels, which are our stress hormone levels kind of really go down from from using lactobacillus um, ruteri, for example. Yeah. And and you can have, you know, 100 people and 50 of them feel amazingly better and the other 50 don't. Yeah. And so you you have to kind of figure it out or what else is going on? Do they have fungal overgrowth? Do they have mm-hmm. mold in their house? Do you know, so I don't think that a single probiotic is going to be a miracle. Mhm. But I do think that they can really help. And the research demonstrates that they can really help. But I think we have kind of a long way to go mm-hmm. in terms of that. And, you know, for me, the magic is in the food. If I take a probiotic, I'm taking, you know, a half a teaspoon to a teaspoon of something once once or twice a day. Yeah. Right? I'm taking a really tiny amount that has really big effects, obviously. But every day I eat pounds of food. Yeah. And what we know is that those pounds of food really affect the way our immune system works and affect the way our brain function works, our energy works. And, you know, food is the biggest intake that we have every day. And it's our biggest exposure to like the outside world. And most Americans, which you see all the time in your practice, are eating highly processed, ultra processed foods, yeah. which are inflammatory and they make us feel terrible mm-hmm. over time. We can get away with it when we're young, maybe. Right. You know, <laughs> I look back and I go, man, I had such bad menstrual cramps when I was young and, right. you know, different kinds of things, but I just thought all that was normal. Yeah. No, that's a big one. I did too. And I find that um, a lot of the women that I work with, they had very clear signs earlier on that something was off and now they have fibroids or now they have cysts or whatever it is. 
And so sometimes we ignore those early symptoms, mostly because we don't know, honestly, it's not even really our fault. <laughs> no, and we're, we're not trained to, to understand or know any of that. Yeah, no, totally. Um, when it comes to probiotics, just for a regular average person, let's say they have a generally good diet, are you more on the side of, of getting it through a, a food, you know, something like kimchi or sauerkraut or actually just going and purchasing a probiotic? So I think for everyday usage, I used to think, oh, everybody should just take a probiotic every day. Yeah. But now I really think, you know, we didn't even have these little bottles of probiotics until very recently. Right. And, and, and really the magic is in our food. Um, I just mm -hmm. had breakfast a while ago and I had my own homemade kimchi as part of my breakfast as I do almost every day. Mm. Um, yesterday I had some kefir, mm. you know, I think it's so important. I, and I had miso. Mm. Miso soup has over 150 different microbes oh, in, the, wow. in miso. And even if you cook it to death, like they yeah. do in Japanese restaurants, we now know that even dead probiotics have a, a, both a digestive modulating and immune modulating effects. Wow. So, you know, don't throw out those old probiotics, just take them anyway. Um, but, but, you know, there are times when people might need a probiotic, maybe they just had food poisoning or, or maybe they have, um, um, they just took antibiotics or they're just feeling kind of off. Mm -hmm. We know, for example, that probiotics can help shorten a cold, Yeah, you know, so that, you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't uh, recommend probiotics cause I do. But generally, most people don't really need them every day. Personally, mm -hmm. I do take them every day mm -hmm. because I have to take some medications that um, I had a kidney transplant about 15 years ago. Wow. So I have to take some medications that are pretty disruptive of my microbiome. Right. And so I actually do take a probiotic every day. Right. Um, if, if I had, you know, a other, other major conditions, I probably would take a probiotic every day. Mm. If I was diabetic, I might try to take one that helps modulate blood sugar. But I think the main thing about taking them is because even a good probiotic doesn't have that much diversity in it, mm -hmm. then I would recommend, you know, take a bottle of this probiotic and then switch to a different one. Mm. And, you know, because otherwise it's kind of like monocropping like we do in farming. Yeah, that's, I think that's the part that's confusing. I think most usually for the average person, it's like, okay, which strain does it matter if I get this super potent, you know, 85 million billion, whatever, they're just confused. They don't know where to begin. Well, I think we're all confused. Mm. So um, a few years ago, some of my students came to me, I said, why don't, why doesn't somebody take a look at like all the different probiotics and what, what they've been researched for? And um, are there any probiotics that have these particular strains in them? And, and, you know, what do we really know? And they handed me almost two, uh, almost 200 pages. Hmm. I went, wow, um, it would be a shame if I'm the only person who ever sees this. 
And so we got it published in Integrative Medicine. Um, wow. And their papers are free online. Oh, cool. And, and um, so we got it published. And, you know, what's so fascinating is that we do have good research on arthritis and which probiotics are the best probiotics. And we have research on, you know, diabetes and anxiety and autoimmune conditions. And we do have a lot of research, but we're still really early in all of it. And nonetheless, I think that they're, they can be really beneficial, but I probably wouldn't, for most people, just use them long-term. And you know, I think all of our supplements are really confusing to people. I was, in, yes. I was waiting to pick up a prescription um, for my husband uh, a couple of weeks ago. And and there, everybody's standing in this long line and somebody's like, I just need to get in to get the melatonin. And the next thing we know, like everybody was having a conversation about which melatonin should she buy and which was the best brand. And you know, and because literally there were four or five different brands of melatonin yeah. and there were dosages all the way from half a milligram to 10 milligrams of melatonin. Yeah. And I think that that's true for all of our supplements. Yeah. You know, like what vitamin C do I get? Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. it's like, it's so, it's, it's, um, I think it's confusing, which is why if you go to a good health food store, um, you can just ask somebody and say, what do you think about what's the best melatonin or, you know, which probiotic supplements do you have here that you think are really good quality? No, that's a really, I used to do that all the time before I was a nutritionist. And now what I find myself doing is, Liz, I go on Amazon and I stock reviews of supplements. I know it sounds strange, but I like to know if people taking it are raving about it. And they're like, Oh my God, you know, I got this really amazing result. So my clients sometimes laugh at me, but I don't always, because of that, I'm not always beholden to brands. I also pay attention to, Hey, did this get a lot of reviews about this particular issue that my client is dealing with? And then I'll recommend it. Yeah. You know, so how I do, it's just a little bit different, but Mm -hmm. not that different. So Mm What I do is I use um, professional um, clearinghouse. So I buy my supplements mostly through Emerson Ecologics or yeah, I have Emerson. Emerson, or you can have people, um, you know, buy them directly through the Emerson interface. Mm-hmm. And and I actually because I I feel like that they have actually looked at the quality yeah. of the products that are there, and then I also. I will look at reviews, but I also do muscle testing for a specific person. And I know I that's kind that. of woo-woo, but I do. I, I no, muscle I test. totally believe in it now. <laughs> you know what was the believer, what, who made me believe in muscle testing was not even uh, someone who did muscle testing. You know, I went to a Chinese medicine doctor who used a pendulum, of all things, to determine what supplements were better for me. And I noticed a noticeable difference when I eliminated ones that didn't have, I guess, the energy, or I guess the energy didn't correspond or whatever. I don't know. Ever since then, I've been like, I don't know, there's something to all of this. Yeah. When I was in college, I had um, a teacher and she taught me how to use a pendulum for the first Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And And it's like, wow, you know, and when you think about it, it was part of the culture 
to douse for water way back. Mm, mm. And, and um, I think I met somebody who I took a dousing course once and this woman worked for the electric company and they used her to douse for water and for power lines and things Mm -hmm. before they were digging anywhere. I mean, so, you know, it's part of the culture. It's just kind of a lost part, but I do, I find that, that it's um, very helpful for people to be able to kind of douse things and, you know, I think sometimes I think we all do it kind of intuitively as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes you'll pick something up and you'll think, oh, you know, I think I'll eat this today. And then you go, no, I don't really want that. Yeah. Or you'll pick up a supplement and you go, no, I'm not taking that anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that we do it, but we don't really give kind of credence to it. Um, cause it's not part of our culture normally. It isn't, but I, I keep hearing you're not the first person that I very much respect who says that they do muscle testing. And I, do you find that, you know, when you do muscle testing, one supplement that could be great for someone is not great for someone else? Yes. Which is why I do it. Yeah. Because, and- because, you know, like, for example, I might know that somebody, I want them to take, say, vitamin C, right? Yeah. But I don't know which vitamin C is going to be best for them until I muscle test it. Yeah. It's the same way that, you know, and I, I don't use a pendulum anymore because I had a client tell me once, she goes, I came to see you because you have a PhD and then you pull out a pendulum. <laughs> You know, and I really don't know what to make of that. And I'm like, okay. So, so I stopped using my pendulum. Um, So I stopped using my pendulum, but, but I still muscle test. And, okay. And, you know, even at MUIH, when I'm teaching at Maryland University of Integrative Health, when we're actually on campus, I'll teach people how to do their own muscle testing. And, Mm. you know, I can teach all your listeners how to do it. I mean, it's not that hard. Probably the simplest way to do it is called sway testing. Okay. And sway testing is that you stand up Mm -hmm. and like, I'm going to stand up right now and I'm going to say, um, okay, if yes is falling forward a little bit, leaning Mm -hmm. forward, no Mm -hmm. is leaning backwards. Yes is leaning forwards. No is leaning backwards. So now I'm going to like, Making, I was making myself go backwards and forwards, but now I'm just going to go, okay, my name is Liz. And I just, without doing anything, I start leaning forward. Right. Um, my name is Isosa. Whoa, it isn't. Even though we're connected, it's not my name. <laughs> you know, so. So the muscle pressing and the pendulum are very similar. They're the same thing. It's they're just the same a different thing. manifestation. Yeah. Ah. It just, it makes sense to me now. But I mean, so I've never pulled out my pendulum because I think I would freak out my clients, but I do use my pendulum on all of my own personal supplements. For anyone listening, now you know. (laughs) (laughs) And now in times of COVID, you're probably not seeing people in person that much. Well, that was the question I was going to ask you. What do you do when you can't see someone? You don't need to see somebody. You just need to be in their energy and you Uh, need to ask their permission. You know, and so I don't usually do that out loud, 
Mm-hmm. But in in words, I I always ask permission. Can I? Do I have permission? Is it in my highest and best interest to do this for myself? Mm-hmm. Is it in, in my highest and best interest to do this for the person sitting in front of me or on the phone with me or whatever? And do I have their permission? Because otherwise, you know, energetically we we are all connected. Um, you don't need to be in the same place ever. So it's, yeah, really. (laughs) And so, and do you have to have the supplement there with you to ask about it? I don't. (laughs) I don't. I mean, it probably helps when you're first learning. Yeah. But but no, I I don't because I've been doing this, you know, most of my life. Yeah. But, but, you know, um, I think that if you tune into the supplement on Emerson, Mm-hmm. you'd be able to figure it out. Huh. I bet this is not what either of us thought we were going to be talking about today. No, but this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. Because I was trying to figure that out. I was like, how would I do this? Could I just pull out the pendulum and be on a Zoom call? Like, how does this work? <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay, that's so interesting. Okay, I feel I feel validated. Um, Good. I'm so glad you use pendulum. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I was taught by this Chinese medicine doctor who also wanted to teach me moxibustion, by the way. And I was like, I don't even know if I have the bandwidth for that right this second. But I, I did learn a lot from her because it was the first time I'd ever been to an acupuncturist where they actually test, they can show you what's happening energetically in your meridians using a machine before and after the treatment. And I thought that that was so cool. It is uh, so cool. Yeah, I was really nerding out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have to be some kind of nerd. y'all it's time to take questions from instagram or email remember if you would like to have your question answered on the show all you got to do is send me a dm slide up in my dms or respond to the call for questions on my profile at the raw girl or contact me via my website therawgirl.com today's question is from amanda via email and she says dear Asosa, i think i have candida I've noticed bloating and gas frequently after meals, and I do have a white coating on my tongue. What do I do? Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for emailing. So the first thing you need to do is confirm whether or not candida is your main issue. The signs that you are noticing could definitely point to overgrowth. Here are some also common signs. You might be experiencing fatigue, chronic yeast infections, recurring urinary tract infections, nail or toe fungus. The white coating on your tongue, which you mentioned, sugar cravings. Um, Some people get sinus infections, so like runny nose, nasal congestions, uh, loss of smell, headaches. There's actually a study done by the Mayo Clinic, and they looked at a group of 210 individuals with chronic sinus infections and found that 96% of them had fungi in their mucus. Yikes. Um, Digestive issues include 
constipation, diarrhea, nausea, gas, cramps, and bloating, some of which you are experiencing. And studies indicate that overgrowth of candida is also associated with several diseases of the gastrointestinal tract, including ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease in some cases. There's skin rashes or acne, sometimes it flares up in people in response to consuming sugar. The best place for you to start is to actually get a test that helps you determine if you have yeast overgrowth for real. There are cheaper ones now on the market that can be ordered just to identify candida alone. But if you could swing it, I would also get a test that can look for parasites since they often hang out together. In my practice, I love ordering the GIFX comprehensive profile to check for candida and parasites. But you should also consider visiting with a holistic health practitioner to get to your root cause to figure out why the candida has the right environment to flourish in the first place. I really hope this helps you. All right, y'all, it is time to close out the show. Hopefully the show has given you some insightful information into the digestive system and some simple things that you can implement to ensure that you are getting all of the nutrition your body needs from your food. Tune in next week for a part two conversation with Dr. Lipsky. Today, I'm going to leave you with this quote by Alex Jameson, who said, what we eat determines how well our digestion works. If you had never really thought deeply about your digestion, although you are doing it every single day, several times a day, I really hope that this show inspires you to aim to consume whole unprocessed foods full of fiber and nutrients that your body can digest. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at the raw girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit stayingagelessshow.com. 